Welcome to the Lives of Courage podcast with me, Jessica Stong. Each week, we'll look at ways to choose courage every day, as I know even the smallest acts of courage matter. Through inspiration and action, we can grow into who we are truly meant to be. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Good morning, sweet friends. Hope you're all well. I'm so excited to be here to chat with you about the courage to be respectful in the midst of struggle, in the midst of conflict and all the things that's been going on. And I've been thinking about this a lot with all the discord in our homes, in our communities, in our world. I hear so much in my coaching about how hard it is, how much conflict there is being cooped up with your family, right? Around the election, around how people are responding to the pandemic, it's all over, right? And and really around racial inequality, how, how we are blaming others for our problems. There is so much division, sweet friends. There is so much pain. It doesn't matter the situation, the nature of the conflict. It doesn't matter like which side you're on, which side you aren't. I hope that this is for you today. I hope this is for everyone today. And, and knowing that you might watch this now before the election, you might listen to this after the election, but this information is, is for any situation where you find yourself in disagreement. So I want to talk about the courage to be respectful today. We're going to discuss what happens in our brains when we disagree with someone, why we immediately rush in to defend our way of thinking, right? And how, if we want, if we want to change our response to disagreements, to conflict, to overwhelm, if we want, if we'd like. So I want to say this, and this is, this is really at the heart of all my work, is that respect matters in our relationships with ourselves. Respect matters in our intimate relationships with our friends, with our community, with the greater world, right? And even when it's hard, even when you don't understand, even when someone disagrees with you or sees the world differently from you. And let's be honest, we also, need to talk about respecting ourselves too because usually when we attack others we are living with the sense of deep scarcity a real sense of scarcity and and fear and overwhelm and lack of feeling our feelings oftentimes um we will lash out at others to to distract from what we're feeling inside and I guess I should start with how I define respect. And I get a lot of good practice talking about respect as, as I am parenting a tween, right? So let's, let's use the Oxford English Dictionary, which tells us that respect is regard for the feelings, wishes, rights, traditions of others. It's also a deep feeling of admiration for someone or something elicited by their abilities, qualities, or achievements. And I want you to remember that the way we do this, the way we do this work, the way that we come to this work is first by doing the work on ourselves. And so I, I want to say this to you, if you are not 
aware of how you react to your emotions. Remember, there is like just feeling the emotion. Great, you're gonna feel it, process it on your own, move on. You're going to distract from it. So that's picking fights with others. You're gonna resist it. You're not gonna feel it. You're gonna try so hard to change the other person so you can resist that feeling inside of you or you can overreact and you can go just out of control. And it was so interesting. I presented some of these thoughts um, to my family and um, someone had this to say, we are all angry right now because we're scared. When people are scared, people act mean when they are in fear. And I was like, never have truer words been spoken. I was, I mean, frankly, I'm still overcome with emotion because this is one of the wisest kids I know. And, And let's be honest, people write others off when they're neurodiverse and when they have a different way of thinking and when they're hard to manage sometimes, when you're not like everyone else, you can, like our brains are designed to to find carbon copies of the way we think or the way we look or the, the people that we surround ourselves with. And so when we listen, deeply listen, when we learn how to listen to other perspectives, do you invite in other perspectives and other ideas? And when we do that, it challenges us, it shapes us, it changes us. And I know this is off topic. This is not what I was gonna talk about, but I also think that we can't mistreat or be disrespectful to others, like my family member, right? Who I love dearly when we acknowledge the divine in them. You also, sweet friends, cannot mistreat yourself or acknowledge, like like you can't disrespect yourself when you acknowledge that you were created in the image of God. So I believe that when we cannot find compassion for others is when we cannot find compassion for ourselves and that we lack that connection that we all so desperately need in our lives. And so when we had the conversation in my family about how black people have been treated, are being treated in this country, my family decided on the credo and um, from Martin Luther King Jr. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And so I bring that in the conversation today. I bring that to bear, in all of these thoughts and all of these sentiments, but knowing deep inside, I am not asking anyone to deny how they feel right now. Sweet friends, it is a lack of fundamental ability to feel our feelings or trust in ourselves to be able to handle all our emotions. It's when we resist and distract from our emotions that life feels out of control. And so the way to do this work is first to feel deeply, is first to acknowledge your brain's response to fear and overwhelm and confusion and injustice, and to know that you have to feel it. You are entitled to your thoughts and your emotions. And this is not a conversation to shame or blame anyone on either side. And so in the spirit of that, let me get started with what I was going to talk about. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so I um, I want to talk about what happens when you disagree with someone. And we're going to use a client that I have, um, and we're going to talk about it in that context. So you have numerous options when you disagree with someone. You can decide not to let it bother you. You don't have to get mad. It's just a argument. You can decide to be annoyed or to be angry, and you're going to feel that. But it's not a given how you will respond. So, and I also want to say this before we get started. We mistakenly think others have the power to control how we think, feel, act. We feel like if someone does something, we, we are, have to get mad. No, you can choose that and go all in in that and, and feel it, feel your emotions, but you don't have to get mad. Okay, so we are habitually blame others for our experiences, right? Reminding ourselves that when we have a choice, we can change the experience of disagreements. So I like often coach women and a few good men, right? on how to have disagreements with their spouses. And recently, one of my clients was upset because she wanted to purchase something for her kids and her husband wasn't having it. And I never know where to um, look when I'm looking, like, here I am, I don't know where to look. Sorry uh, for those of you listening on the podcast. But anyway, um, so, so she said, her husband, I said, well, you know, tell me about this. What was actually said? Because sometimes when we disagree with people, we make assumptions about what they are thinking and feeling and the, for, for the way they are acting. You know, we have this cognitive behavioral model thing. Thoughts create your emotions, which create your actions, which create your results. And sometimes we run the tear process on other people to help us get a picture into their brain. It's completely Conject I mean, we're completely making it up, right? But at least it allows us to get uh, a perspective that we've decided, but knowing that anything could be in control of what they are thinking and what they are saying and doing. So I asked her, what did she think was going on right now when her husband was saying, nope, we're not gonna buy that for the kids. Mm. And she said, he's doing it to make me angry, to be contrary, and because he doesn't care about me. He does this all the time. And we are this close, I mean, to a divorce, because this is just the icing on the cake. This is how it always is. So I want you to notice that this is not like a one and done thing that she's probably been practicing these thoughts for a while, right? How many of us are at that point? What is coming up? These are thoughts on her, on her side. Thoughts about him that make her feel, right? Upset and angry and frustrated and ready to give up, ready to throw in the towel and say, that's enough. And when you feel angry and annoyed, what action do you take? <laughs> Would you like me to tell you what I do? I roll my eyes. Seriously, I still do. I am sarcastic, I dismiss, I yell. I try to use my psychological tools on the other person, right? And so I, I asked her, like, what action did you take from feeling angry and upset? 
And remember last week we taught about, we talked about these loops where we just keep doing the same thing and we expect a different reaction. We think he's doing this intentionally. We feel upset and angry. We are dismissive and mean. And then guess what happens? It's a loop. It's a vicious loop cycle. And here's the deal. I also want to say this. Our brains react when threatened. I'm like, it's like, I'm being threatened. I will, right? It's that primitive brain designed to see, like, look for pain or like something that could attack you. And so it's like, boom, this is real. This is a lion and tiger in our world right now. So I'm going to be all in and all my hormones and all like the cortisol and I'm going to be fight, fight or freeze. And I want you to think about your habitual reaction. Are you a fighter? Are you a freezer? Or are you like a fleer? Flight? Do you, do you take off? or your brain takes off. It doesn't matter what you do. And so really looking at what happens. I know that I am, a, I, I just shut down, done. I flight, I just take my, my wings and I go on out of there. So I want you to look at what habitual reactions you have in response. And so we understand that when we feel threatened, our brain sends signals that we aren't safe. And so we react with fear. We get flooded with emotion and we don't have our typical emotional control that we would have because we are overcome with that emotion. Remember, it's the hand model of our brain. We flip our lid, right? When we're like, ah, I'm being attacked emotionally, physically, and our prefrontal cortex control executive skills of emotional control, of metacognition, of planning and prioritizing what's important to you in the moment, they get thrown out the window. And so when you don't understand what your brain does on high emotion, you will try to force and control and you won't be able to do that. You won't be able to use your prefrontal cortex until you get it back online. And we know that the way to do that it's through connection and calm and just, just connection with ourself, connection with our thoughts, being mindful, um, understanding what happens. Thank you, Dr. Daniel Siegel. And, and knowing like we can calm ourselves even when there's a storm around us. Knowing all the full, full well that we are in high emotional reactivity. And we're going to talk about this later. I, I don't want to forget to come back to it. You know, to remind myself of things, I cross my fingers. Now, will I remember it as I'm on just going to town? I'm not sure, but we're, we're going to try, right? But I want you to think about how do you calm yourself in the midst of emotional upheaval, in, in the midst of discussion? How do you remind yourself? I choose something new. I choose something new. This is not the story. You know, for my children, they have calm kids. They know to go to, and we remind them, right, to go and regulate their emotional experience so that their prefrontal cortex can come back online. But what do you do as an adult? How do you take care of yourself 
when you feel that that overrun by your amygdala, by your limbic system? What choice do you have? And so, so I also, we know that the client who argued with her husband about how to purchase or what to purchase could have in the moment been mindful that her brain was high reactivity was supplying her that primitive brain was supplying her messages and she's like oh there it is she could have seen that if she had you know in cognitive behavioral uh, interventions we have lots of if then plans so if i get emotionally triggered then i will do this so she could have like taken deep breaths, left the room, come back and said, I want to talk about this later um, and, and when it matters. But she, and then maybe written out, like, why do you think my husband's reacting in this way? And and offered like all sorts of options. We came up with like, well, he was probably trying to be helpful. He's extra good at saving money and they have a boat and other things because he's a great saver and she loves that that he cares enough to have an opinion, that he's an engaged dad who wants to talk about these things. So she she was able to like in uh, stepping back to offer those as reasons that he would have cared about this. And when she had the thought, this is a direct th thought, I'm thankful he's caring enough to try to help out. What? how what emotion would that have created in her she said well i wouldn't be as triggered emotionally well she might have but having the thought i'm thankful he cares enough to help out allows her to see it from a different perspective to maybe have a feeling of like well like he's trying maybe pity compassion respect we're getting to it just wait, it took me how many minutes are we in on the 17 minutes we got to respect that he's engaged. So how would you feel if you started to say, bless his heart, he sees things differently and that's okay. You noticed I have to do that in my family as well. We don't all have the same brains. I tried to tie that in at the beginning. And so what actions do we take from respect? We often, right? So we're, we're noticing that, that that thought loop is changing. So we're changing the thought, like, well, he's trying and you feel compassion or like, oh, I don't know what emotion that is, but like kindness towards this person and then the action you take is you say different things. You communicate differently. I learned from Dr. Harriet Lerner. I don't know if you've read any of her books, The Dance of Connection, The Dance of Anger, uh, The Dance of I, 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 all the things. And I love her so much. She was a professor at the University of Kansas where I graduated. Mm. That we need to be in charge of ourselves, in charge of our thoughts and emotions and actions to communicate with respect. And respect is fundamental for anyone to be heard and to hear. So what happens when we go to discuss something that's important to us with others, when we disagree, when we fight, right? I always say this, this is my number one marriage tip. 
we see ourselves as lawyers. We argue our case, right? Thanks, Dr. Harriet Lerner. We stand our ground. We argue so that the judge will decide on our side, right? Like this, this is like, this is, you must listen and I'm gonna state all my cases and then you'll have a chance. And, and we're just gonna both be arguing for totally different sizes, sides or sizes, right? And we forget that discourse and discussion needs to happen we need to act like mediators instead of lawyers. We need to be working towards joint resolution. This is a partnership. This is not, we each have our own sides and we forget that, right? That is a emotional control and a planning, a prioritization task, executive skill task. And so when we're emotionally activated, we lose that and we forget what we're doing. So are you ready? Now let's take politics. Okay, I have to be honest for a quick second, right? I myself have had to clean up a lot of thoughts in this area. So this discussion is so much about respect for me as well. And I'll remind you what happens in our brains when we start discussing politics. We start thinking things like, well, that person is wrong. That person doesn't care about others. That's, that's my go-to. The way this person is voting goes directly against who I am as a person. When someone votes another way, it will direct me, affect, uh, uh, like directly affect me. Our country is being destroyed. These are all thoughts that I've heard coaching in the pandemic. And let me tell you, I coach people on every side. Is there, there's more than two sides, I think. I think there is so many options for our brains to go to. And I also ask them, like, what other things do you tend to assume to think about the other side? Like, what are you saying to yourself? You, those who are listening, and, and, and this goes to whether we're having a conversation about politics, about mask wearing, about, racial inequality about like what arguing with someone about whether to have Thanksgiving. What if we could manage our brain and speak clearly and intentionally about our point of view? What if we could try to listen to the other side and really come to a conversation as a mediator versus a lawyer? And here, we go again. I'm so sorry, but I, I think about it. I get a firsthand by parenting a tween, right? Everybody's brain is overreacting. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, How to Hug a Porcupine, and I have to read it um, because it's like we're just, when we are angry, we are overreacting. Our brains are just like, oh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I have to react. And there is tension, troubling times, trauma. It changes that emotional baseline. I talked about this when I did the podcast on managing your brain in a pandemic, like a pandemic's a collective trauma. So we're just bumping up that reactivity. We're more reactive to our emotions. We're more reactive to not being heard. We're not being able to speak. And we do the same thoughts we do the same with our thoughts about how others view anything, about racism, 
instead of allowing others to be heard, we clamp down. We silence voices that don't go along with the way we believe. We block people on social media who don't agree with us. We stop conversations. We ridicule others. We tell people that they are evil and wrong. And let's be clear, we only look for information that supports our point of view, right? Thanks. I talk about it all the time, but confirmation bias, the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of one's existing beliefs. Like we're like, oh, I'm only going to look for what I already believe. And so often we won't be able to change our minds. We won't be able to get new and different information if we're just silencing any voices that are opposite of ours. And it's easy, sweet friends, to dismiss people and, and keep them at a distance. We're so good at that. And it's easy, friends, to see others as inferior, as the other. Social psychologists have taught us about the in-group bias, in-group, out-group, group theory, whatever you want to call it, so as a survival mechanism. So we know that we, we so identify with those in our, in our group. We know that hatred is driven by two emotions, love and aggression. Love for the in-group, your group, and aggression and hate towards the group, the out-group. The group that has been deemed different, dangerous, threat, a threat. And it doesn't matter if you're doing this on a large meta scale or you're doing this in a small way. We have a tendency to justify believing that people are less than and so that we can say cruel things to them. And our brains love seeing the world in us versus them and, and, and it's just arbit our brains have no way of defining who they are. We create that with our thoughts and those thoughts drive action. And here's the deal. I want to run through the tear process again, right? We have the thought that person is not worthy and they are taking what is mine. And the emotion is anger or aggression. And the action is to criticize, tell others how bad they are, get your in-group on your side, hate the other group, the out-group. And the result is you're just going to continue that loop. You're going to hate them more. And of course, I cannot end this conversation about fear and discord without mentioning projection. Uh, thanks, Freud, right? To describe our tendency to reject what we don't like about ourselves. The things people hate about others are the things we fear inside of ourselves. The, de uh, the idea of, of this is, it's not me, it's you, right? <laughs> I don't think Freud was thinking that, but like, I'm not terrible, you are. And I can't see what I hate about myself when I'm busy looking at you. And we also know this, and I'm far too in this, uncertainty is difficult to tolerate. Uh, we cannot, we do not like it in our brains. So we have a natural tendency to tell stories, to create thoughts that help us feel safe and certain. Totally fine, nothing's gone wrong. But we have a duty to realize these narratives aren't necessary, necessarily correct. And when we are looking 
only through the lens, lens of scarcity and fear and overwhelm. And, and we're like motivated, called to find certainty. We may find leaders whose messages make us feel certain, but we don't really quite understand, but they're satisfying our need to feel safe. And so we defend against all those emotions inside, all the blame, all the shame, all the fear by blaming others, by scapegoating them. We have to find others to blame instead of taking the responsibility for ourselves. And so here, the, the, the opposite of hate to me is love, yes but it's respect and compassion for others as well as ourselves. Self-compassion means that we accept our whole self. If we find parts of ourselves that aren't acceptable, we attack others in order to defend the threat against us. If we see ourselves as who we are, if we are okay with ourselves, if we understand that we have value and that we matter, we don't need to make others' behaviors about us. It is about them and we can respond with respect. If I am committed to my stories of hate, I have to hate myself as well. If I see the divine in others, I have to acknowledge the divine in myself and vice versa. There is a man, Dr. Nair, and he said, with courage, you will dare to take risks, have the strength to be compassionate and the wisdom to be humble. Courage is the foundation of integrity. Guys, courage having the courage to live with respect, to be respectful of others, to live with deep respect for ourselves takes courage. It's scary to do that. And someone asked me, a family member, how do we get people to listen? How do, how do we get people to a space of respect? And I hate to answer it this way, but we can't. All we can do, the only thing we can control is ourselves. I believe that. But when we listen and listen deeply, and I know this deep from my coaching practice and my practice that I've created in, in the community and in, in, in the world, when we hold others with respect, when we give them the space to have a voice, we inspire others to change their thoughts and emotions. We inspire others to change their actions. So I invite you all in this time of grief and struggle and pain and overwhelm and confusion and doubt and fear, I invite you to find the courage to live a life of respect for yourself and others because you were called to goodness. Be the change you wish to see in the world. I, I know we can do this, sweet friends. Okay, love you all. Have a great week. Thanks so much.
And as always, I want to remind you, if you want more information about how to work with me, if you really um, have heard anything on this episode that you're like, wait a minute, you can go to jessicaston.com. You can learn more information about the Courageous Life Society, a group coaching membership that really helps you take all this information and apply it. And also you can get more information about one-on-one coaching. Thank you so much and have a great and courageous week, everyone.